Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Friday. Yes, we've made it to the end of the work week on the Three Martini Lunch. Glad you are with us. We're brought to you today by a brand new sponsor, Bowl and Branch. Go to bowlandbranch.com with the promo code Martini. Right now, you'll get $50 off any sheet set at bowlandbranch.com. No good martinis today, sadly, but we have bad and crazy and crazy and the First crazy definitely has a twinge of bad to it as well. But let's start with the straight up bad, and that's Joe Biden. Uh, He crawled out of his basement on Wednesday, I guess this was, and basically decided that even though the Supreme Court has sided with the little sisters of the poor multiple times now and religious employers should not have to cover the cost of contraception, well, Joe Biden's decided that he's going to continue this fight, even though the little sisters of the poor clearly have the public on their side here. This is the free beacon. Presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden on Wednesday pledged to undo the Supreme Court's decision in favor of religious liberty for the little sisters of the poor. Quote, if I'm elected, I will restore the Obama-Biden policy that existed before the Hobby Lobby ruling, providing an exemption for houses of worship and an accommodation for nonprofit organizations with religious missions, Biden said. Just this week, the Supreme Court ruled that the Little Sisters of the Poor, a charitable religious group of nuns, could not be compelled to cover the cost of contraception for employees. Let me just mention that again. The Little Sisters of the Poor, a charitable religious group of nuns, could not be compelled to cover the cost of contraception. Just let that warble around in your mind a little bit. Uh, The Catholic group's not happy here, obviously. Uh, This is from... Catholic vote President Brian Birch, Joe Biden has removed any remaining doubt about how his administration would mistreat and marginalize Catholics if elected. So, uh, Jim, we've also seen Joe Biden's big economic speech this week, which looks frighteningly similar to what Bernie Sanders was pushing, just with a nicer face on it. So uh, why does Biden keep tacking left here? Uh, It's probably good for conservatives. But uh, if you want him to lose, of course. But uh, what do you make of Joe Biden basically kowtowing to everyone on the left? Yeah. So, I mean, there's no getting around it. Right now, the polling does not look good for President Trump. And, you know, Biden's got this big lead. And maybe he's, he's, you know, maybe this is overconfidence creeping in. Maybe this is a sense of, hey, I got this election in the bag so I can just, you know, put out exactly what I believe and I can... uh, there's no danger to me of losing folks in the middle because there are so many suburbanites who are fed up with Trump. They will vote for me no matter what I espouse, and I'm just going to do what I can to make sure the Bernie Sanders supporters don't stay home. But that seems like a high-risk strategy here because, first of all, on the Little Sisters of the Poor, this was a tough fight during the Obama administration. There are folks who are like, you know, you, but the optics are bad. You do not want to be seen as somebody who's picking on a bunch of nuns. It literally, you know, administration opposes little sisters of the poor is just not a headline you want to have. Supreme Court has ruled, Greg, remember when Obergfell came down and was like, okay, the issue of gay marriage is settled? Yeah, right. Right? It's almost, now it's like, well, the Supreme Court says we're wrong on this, but we're going to fight them anyway. Uh, No, (laughs) it gets to work that way. I suppose they can try to tweak the regulations further and all that stuff, but most, you know, folks who, who feel like they're, they're uh, you know, looking for the most maximizing their appeal would look at that and say, you know what, when I take office January 20th, this country is going to have a lot of issues. I may get to readjusting that policy or not. It's going to be a you know, punt on the issue, right? Kick the can down the road. Don't get into this fight and say, 
as your president, I, Joe Biden, will show those nuns who's boss. You know, it's just not where you want to go. And on the economic issues, and it's kind of, you could you know, look, we're, you know, we're still a ways from November. There's less time left than the, you know, Trump campaign would probably like. But you can now see that if Biden were to blow this, this is what would do it. Combination of the uh, tearing down of the statues and the, you know, move, changing of this uh, movement from a specific one focused on opposition to police brutality and unequal treatment under the law to this broad-based opposition to anything that could offend anyone. Old sitcom episodes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, that the left had veered off this opposition to the idea that Mount Rushmore is somehow a, you know, a bad thing and needs to be undone. The general opposition to the founding fathers. Um, and the idea that Biden, uh, you know, he, he, every, when he's asked about it directly, Biden will generally say, no, I'm not on board with this. But Biden never is going to give a full-throated denunciation and say to his allies, what are you, crazy? He's never going to be the guy who does this. And he's always going to be the guy who's trying to find a happy medium and the problem is that as the, the left fringe of the Democratic Party goes further and further to the left, because Biden wants to be the grand uniter of all Democrats, he himself is going to drift out further and further to the left. And I think on economics, this is a very solid example of this. And but the irony is, I think Joe Biden won the primary because he wasn't Bernie Sanders, because he wasn't this ideal of a socialist revolution overturning everything in America. And I think he's in real danger of losing track of what made him uh, popular in democratic circles and what made him uh, appealing to a certain number of independents and, and disaffected Republicans. And if he goes too far enough, you could see him blowing this. Now, look, you know, he's probably, at some point, someone will probably grab him and shake him and say, hey, be careful on this. Um, but at this moment, he is sure adding, giving a lot of, uh, you know, ammunition for the Trump campaign. And people might say, well, isn't that part of the good martini? Yeah, but if Biden wins, then we're stuck with all this. So that's what makes it the bad martini. No, that's exactly right. And Jim, there's a, a phrase that's been going around for years. I think usually it's said kind of tongue in cheek, but it's basically to the effect of liberals want to ban everything and the things that they don't want to ban, they want to make mandatory. Has that ever been more visual than right now? <laughs> Yeah. And I guess the thing is, is that if you, you would think the, the veterans of the Obama administration would look at, we are now several months into what could, you know, several months away from what could be the end of the Trump administration. Uh, maybe Trump wins another term. We don't know. You know, have Republicans scored victories against Obamacare? Sure. They took out the individual mandate. They've managed to tweak it. They're, you know, but they have not undone it. They have not repealed it and replaced it the way they certainly thought they had a chance of doing when Trump won the election. If you're the Ob an old Ob Obama administration hand, you have to look at this as, if not a win, then a tie, right? You, you didn't lose a heck, you did not see the signature uh, domestic accomplishment of the Obama administration completely dismantled under Trump. It was partially dismantled. And you're probably, you're, that's, you're frustrated, but a lot more of it survived than you thought. So why would you want to reopen this fight on the weakest possible ground, insisting that these orders of nuns have to start covering birth control? It's, it's utterly baffling, and it kind of indicates that a huge chunks of the Democratic Party still cannot see the forest for the trees. No, it's absolutely right. We've discussed this before. Uh, Joe Biden will give you a genuine, empathetic hug if you've been through a crisis because he knows what that's like. And that's, that means a lot, especially in this day and age when it comes to political figures. But Joe Biden has proved ever since he locked up this nomination, not even with official numbers, but really since March, that he's willing to be, and really for his political career, he's willing to be wherever he thinks he needs to be. It's not, I have these sets of principles and darn it, I'm standing right here. It's, 
hey, where do you want me, man? Yeah. Greg, it's not just that Joe Biden can't keep the far left flank of the Democratic Party at arm's length. He embraces it and smells its hair. <laughs> oh, I think some memes are coming off of that one, uh, especially with, uh, was it Ash Carter's wife at the, the swearing in there? Oh, man. All right. Well, let's talk about Bowling Branch, because uh, if you're losing sleep at night over what's going on in this country right now, you're probably not alone. But uh, if you get Bowling Branch, your odds are much better that you're going to get a good night's sleep. So what do millions of Americans and three Three former U.S. presidents have in common. Well, they all agree that Bolin Branch sheets are the softest, most comfortable, pure organic cotton sheets on earth. Bolin Branch cotton is rain-fed, pesticide-free, and carries the highest organic certification. That's why it's so soft. Because they work with family-owned mills all over the world to expertly weave every set of Bolin Branch sheets with the highest level of craftsmanship. It is a quality that you can feel the moment you open the box. And since they sell direct to you, Bolin Branch sheets started just $160. That is a $1,000 quality for a fraction of the price. And now you can sleep on them for a month risk-free. Well, Jim, like I said, it's a new sponsor. I'm told that my Bolin Branch sheets are coming today, so I'm very excited to tell you all about them the next time we have them as a sponsor on the show. But I'm excited about it, and, you know, the presidents, they usually have pretty refined taste, so uh, I like that endorsement, and uh, I really look forward to sleeping on good, soft cotton sheets. So having the softest, best cotton, uh, and, and Scott and Missy, who run this company, they started this company because they just couldn't find good sheets that they really liked. They didn't like how they were made. They saw how cotton farmers around the world were mistreated and, and uh, you know, they were dying at early ages because of the working conditions. And so they said, no, we can do this better. So you can feel good about uh, the fact that you're sleeping on sheets that were made the right way and they're the highest quality. And Jim mentioned the price. They're a fraction of what they're really worth, but now we can do even better. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners will get $50 off any sheet set at bowlandbranch.com with the promo code MARTINI. Spelled B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code Martini for $50 off. Bolandbranch.com. Promo code Martini. Restrictions may apply. See Bolandbranch.com for details. So, Jim, let's move out to our, our second bad, first crazy. We're not really sure exactly how this goes. It's de Blasio, so it's clearly crazy. But it's also bad because he's clearly infringing upon the Constitution. So... Uh, de Blasio thinks he's great now because he helped paint Black Lives Matter on the street in front of Trump Tower. But uh, he was on with Wolf Blitzer yesterday on CNN and talking about how coronavirus is still a real big concern. And, you know, these, these large gatherings, they're just not a good idea right now. So he goes on and lists a few things that aren't going to be possible for the coming weeks and months. And then Blitzer asked him about protests. So take a listen outdoor concerts and it means things like parades you know things that here in the city can mean not just thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people it's just not time for that now what about protests if people want to march down fifth avenue are they going to be allowed to do so look wolf this is always an area of real sensitivity if you're just talking about health we would always say hey folks you know stay home if you can but we understand at this moment in history people are talking about the need for historic changes i mean today in New York City, you know, recognizing the power and the meaning of the message Black Lives Matter, which we did in front of Trump Tower today. Uh, this is a historic moment of change. We have to respect that, but also say to people, 
the, the kinds of gatherings we're used to, the, the parades, the fairs, we just can't have that while we're focusing on health right now. Jim, I haven't read the First Amendment real carefully lately, although I probably should have, but I believe the right to peaceably, Chris Cuomo, assemble uh, is right there in the First Amendment. It doesn't say, unless there's a pandemic or as long as your cause is politically correct, We've seen this before. We obviously saw all the health experts out there a few weeks ago saying, don't go out unless it's for these protests. So Bill de Blasio is just continuing on that. But Jim, the hypocrisy is just so blatant. Yeah. So before I jump into de Blasio, I want to make this observe this phenomenon of people writing Black Lives Matter on, on streets. They did it in Washington, D.C., de Blasio clearly thinks he's got the, you know, Michael Jordan level dunk on Trump by doing it in front of Trump Tower. Um, I was just thinking about this, though, Greg. When you when you write something on the street, what do people then do after you're done painting it? Walk or drive on it, right? And so it, it's you know, it's going to look really nice the first day. You look and say, "Wow, look at that!" You know, big bright yellow letters, "Black Lives Matter." What a great message! In a couple of weeks or a couple of months, that's going to look not so great because you've had endless amounts of car tires and people's feet on it. And the other intriguing thing I'm just thinking about is that over in Iran, when they've had all kinds of of state-run opposition against us, the great Satan, and I think, uh, I think Israel is either the little Satan and the UK is the little brother. There's a whole hierarchy of Satans of, <laughs> of who we are. But one of the things they do is they paint the United States flag on the ground and they paint the Israeli flag on the ground. And the message is you're supposed to step on it. It's supposed to get uh, uh, dirtied up by your feet. It's supposed to get dirtied up by human activity. The whole idea is that what this symbol we put on the ground, it is dirt to us. It is beneath our feet. I assume that's what no one wanted to impress <laughs> that signal regarding Black Lives Matter by painting it. But I kind of wonder if this trend towards painting a large message on the ground is necessarily as effective or, or will end up having some sort of um, some odd sim symbolism that they didn't necessarily intend. But anyway, so that's, that's what Palacio has decided. The idea, we are banning all large gatherings except for this one, besides the fact that it's ipso facto unconstitutional, um, all restrictions on speech that the past precedent of the Supreme Court is if you want to have any kind of restriction on a speech, it's got to be content neutral and it's got to be strictly tailored and it's got to be, you got to be treating everybody equally. Um, and so you do, it's one of those things where like, if you want to um, require somebody to get a permit to hold a protest in a park, well, you got to do all the groups. You can't say it's only in effect for some groups and not others. You cannot have a tougher or more delayed process for one group because you don't like what their message is and, and all that kind of stuff. There's no way this survives judicial review. But the other thing that's kind of as, as bonkers, the idea that these types of gatherings will not be a risk of spreading the virus, but all other gatherings will be a is the second dumbest idea I've seen in the idea that curfews are the solution because, Greg, apparently the virus doesn't work at night. <laughs> Or it doesn't work during the daytime or something. Yes, there's a little bit of an effect of sunlight, arguably. But, uh, but you know, it, it is kind of this idea of they want the behavior of the virus to fit their preconceived political notions, which are gatherings for causes that I support are good, gatherings that are for causes I, I oppose are bad. And the only thing I can think of, Greg, like I've mentioned this yesterday in passing, but now I really want to see it. I would recommend, no, no one's asked me, and they can do whatever they like, but if the Orthodox Jews of Brooklyn feel like they are being really unfairly targeted by Bill de Blasio, I think they have a strong argument for that, they need to start holding outdoor religious services in honor of George Floyd. 
and then just watch Bill de Blasio's head explode as he tries to figure out what to do. Not a bad idea. Just to follow up on a couple of quick points you made. First of all, I saw a story on Twitter. I think it was in Vancouver, Canada, where folks had painted a rainbow flag on the street and then someone drove over it and there were tire marks. And now the police are literally looking for the car and the people that did that because, you know, tire marks were left on the street, Jim. It's amazing. <laughs> How could that happen when people painted in the middle of the street? <laughs> I don't know. And then Wolf, if you really want something to stick around, um, there's canvas. <laughs> you know, paint it on paint it, even a mural, even a wall, people are much less likely to step on it. It's kind of like hearing that some of the world's great sculptors have decided to make some of their finest work out of sand as the tide is coming in. <laughs> but my favorite part of this is Wolf Blitzer, who's doing the interviewing here. And of course, he could say, well, isn't that unconstitutional? Don't people have a right to gather? Uh, isn't there a risk of just as much of a risk of infection with these protests as with other demonstrations? But no, Wolf Blitzer says, well, what about the U.S. Open? Because I love tennis. And uh, the clip I saw didn't get to de Blasio giving an answer. But if that's your reaction to selective enforcement of the First Amendment, uh, Wolf Blitzer uh, is about ready to join Lemon and Cuomo, I think, over there in the category of people whose brains aren't fully functioning at CNN. It's one of those things, the only thing I can think of, Greg, is that uh, Blitzer is thinking about his next mission for the Impossible Mission Force. And uh, <laughs> that, that might be the, you know, where his mind may have been elsewhere, knowing he might have to sneak in undercover. Wow. Well, I wonder if he asked de Blasio to stand by or anything <laughs> like that. That would, be, that would be important. All right, let's move on to our final martini. And speaking of sports, not just the U.S. Open, but a lot of things are in flux. Major League Baseball, of course, had a huge labor fight. I think they're headed towards a 60-game season, but with more coronavirus positive tests, that seems to be in flux. The NBA is headed to this bubble in Orlando, but some people are going and some people aren't. And who knows how that's going to turn out. But everybody was hoping that by the fall, the NFL would be in place but uh, and college football as well. But now that is seeming to fall apart as well. It's not happening quite as quickly as that whole domino effect of sports cancellations back in March, but we're starting to see the tea leaves here. Uh, let's go to USA Today first. The Big Ten Conference's announcement that its schools are limiting any fall sports competition to games against conference opponents will have financial ramifications not only for Big Ten schools, also for schools across the country, especially Mid-American Conference, because that, that's the cannon fodder conference for early in the season for the Big Ten. Your Central Michigan's, Toledo's, Bowling Green's, that sort of thing. So they're very unhappy about that because they get huge checks for getting crushed in September. Uh, so now there's even more than that. You've got other athletic directors saying, I think this is a tipping point. And then there's the SEC. Paul Feinbaum is the SEC guru over at ESPN. He wants to know why we're even thinking about playing football. Here's what he said on ESPN. Forget talking about whether you know, we will play a college football season. Give us a reason why you should play a college football season. Tell us why it's worth all this effort. And, uh, if, and you, by the way, you're not allowed to say, if we don't play, we'll go broke. Uh, that's what this is about. This is a money grab because I, I think if, you, if money was not an issue, that some of these decisions would have already been made, like what they did up in the Ivy League. But uh, right now, this, this is a house of cards. And finally, Jim, if that wasn't enough, let's go to the NFL. Uh, according to the NFL Network, the NFL has proposed that players put 35% of their 2020 salaries in escrow to help account for the fact that there's going to be significant revenue losses this year due to the lack of fans paying for tickets to games. 
Uh, the players are literally laughing at this in their tweets with their different emojis, saying anything of that sort has got to be collectively bargained. So we're probably headed to another massive labor fight there. So the bottom line here, I guess, is, Jim, uh, I don't know if we're having sports anytime soon. And given how woke the leagues are, I'm not sure a ton of people on the right are going to miss them if they're gone. Yeah, so, I, you know, considering how little we are getting to enjoy of, of the normalcy, normal happy joys of life, I think it would be very good for the country to have the return of baseball and the end, finishing up the NBA season, finishing up the NHL season, and the start of football and college football, NFL and college football season. I, I kind of wonder how much of our current angst and anger and high tensions and stress, et cetera, is because we have been denied one of the things that so many Americans get to enjoy, whether you know any of those are your big four sports or any of the other sports that have had cancellations. Really ominous. I don't know. I think the lesson of this is that we're probably not going to get a full season out of any of the sports this year. And we may not get a full normal season out of uh, any of the sports until there's a, a vaccine because everybody's hitting challenges. Players are going to catch it. Most of these sports involve players having to get fairly close together. When baseball gets started and some guy's trying to run home on a, on a base hit, that, you think the catcher is just not going to be able to stay six feet away from protecting the plate. You know, <laughs> right. tackle. I know it seems like Jets cornerbacks are at least six feet away from any receiver on any given play, but nonetheless, this is just not. The league's uh, recommendation of, you know, go save your money. We can argue about whether the escrow plan is one, but it's actually just good advice that, look, we are in extremely disrupted circumstances. The ticket revenue is not going to be there. Um, and just you know, not just the ticket revenue. Think about all the money that gets paid on the. God, what are the, you know, Some teams are charging thirty to fifty bucks for parking. Um, think about all the hot dog vendors. Think about all the beer. Think about all the paraphernalia and, and merchandise that gets uh, that gets you know purchased in the course of a standard home game. None of that's going to happen, uh, presumably, if we you know if the NFL does not uh, have you know, if there are no fans in the stands. There's going to be less money coming in. Hopefully, TV revenue will stay the same. And with everybody stuck at home, there's probably a good chance TV, you know, TV revenue will be really good. But, you know, it's, it's all dependent upon all that stuff. The, the question of whether college football is doing the right thing by canceling the uh, non-conference games. Greg, I thought it was weird when, like I said, the mayors seem to think the virus didn't spread during nighttime. Is the idea that the, the virus only spreads at non-conference games, but conference <laughs> games can stay away? Somewhere there's a little floating virus saying, well, wait a second. Right, this is a huge game. This is for the, the, the Big Ten. I got I to gotta stay away from this one. Yeah. I'd love to see sports continue. But one of my corner posts yesterday made the observation that all of these school boards, including in my neck of the woods, are you know, struggling with trying to figure out how to put together a plan to get kids back into the schoolhouse in some capacity come September. And the thing is, you know, whether you're you know, in Fairfax County like I am, wherever you are in the country, you just don't know what the circumstance is going to be in your community come September. So if there's a very low amount of cases, plans that involve distance learning are going to look kind of ridiculous because eh, nobody's getting it around here. We're in good shape. Or you could say, all right, here's our plan to put kids back into the school. And if there's a big outbreak going on, it's going to be you know, a lot of parents are going to say, whoa, 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 I'm not sending my kids to school. So it's kind of the same circumstance for the sports leagues, trying to account for what kind of uh, procedures would be safe and what kind of activities they're going to be able to do two months from now, because we just don't know um, what the circumstances are going to be in any given place at that time. So we'll see how things shake out, but uh, I, I, I don't envy, you know, those who are trying to make these sports uh, games occur sometime in the fall or in the next coming month, because, you know, we're dealing with a situation that is always changing.
And there's two things I think are worth pointing out here. One is the, the eye roll of everyone who doesn't cheer for Notre Dame, because if all the conferences go down this road, Notre Dame's one of the few independents and certainly the highest profile one. And people are thinking, well, what's going to happen to their season? Yeah, those of us who don't cheer for Notre Dame don't care. Uh, but I, but I want to go back to uh, Paul Feinbaum for a moment, because one of the things he said there was, uh, let's not talk about whether we can have a season. Let's talk about whether we even should. And you got to give me a good reason, and it can't be about money. Well, let me tell you something, in case you didn't already know, especially at major universities, the football program pays for everything else. Men's basketball might help a little bit, but everything else, and especially with all the Title IX, making sure there are an equal number of sports for the women as for the men, almost all of that is paid for by the football program. So if football goes under for a year, your other little sports are going to have a real big problem. Absolutely, Greg. We can argue about whether this is a good system for uh, America's universities. We can argue about whether, uh, you know, whether you know, certain universities have effectively signed on to become the de facto minor league team for the NFL or the National Basketball Association. But regardless of whether you think it should be this way, this is the way things have been. And if you take away all of that revenue, all of a sudden these universities have a giant hole in their budget. They thought ticket sales and as I just mentioned, the paraphernalia, the beer sales, the hot dog sales, all that other stuff is going to, you know, luxury boxes, right? You know, all the revenue that comes in from that will not occur. And that creates another giant hole in it. Now, some of us might say, ah, this is one more reason, you know, a higher education system is unsustainable. Uh, but in the short term, these school, you know, like whatever you think of college sports, the money it brings in probably helps a lot of stuff you do like. I blame the Ivy League. They canceled all their fall sports uh, earlier this week. And of course, all the people in the media love the Ivy League, so they must be the smart ones. So everybody's got to follow suit. Well, I was about to say, there was a lot of coverage of the decision of the Ivy Leagues, I noticed, <laughs> in the Man, oh man, you know. Shocking. It's amazing how this little bubble just keeps perpetuating itself. Jim, on that cynical note, let's uh, check out for the week. Hopefully, we've got some good martinis on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget our great sponsors over at Bowl and Branch. Right now, you can get $50 off any sheet set at bowlandbranch.com with the promo code Martini. Bowlandbranch.com, promo code Martini. You will love Bowl and Branch, and you should give them a try. So check us out. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Also, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.